I'm Betches co-founder Jordana Abraham, and this episode is brought to you by Instacart. Your fever is high and the pressure to log in at work is too. But when you finally decide to take care of you, there's Instacart. Just because that one perfect coworker of yours is attending all meetings, camera on, while she's sneezing, coughing, aching, doesn't mean you have to do the same. Take it from us, trying to stay on top of things will only get you further behind. Instead, get everything from tissues to tea to cough suppressants and comforting soups delivered through Instacart in as fast as 30 minutes. If anyone needs anything, they can just redirect their questions to that one perfect coworker of yours. Betches Media presents Ha ha, laugh, funny Mention it all, a Bravo by Betches podcast We don't say that, but now we said it With me, Dylan Hafer Who gonna check me, boo? Hey everyone, welcome back to the Mention It All podcast. I'm Dylan Hafer. It's Wednesday, which means, of course, we're talking about Vanderpump Rules. But it's a very special episode because we're not only talking about Vanderpump Rules. I also had the great pleasure of sitting down with Parvati Shallow uh, virtually, but like we, I think we were both still sitting, uh, to talk about this season of The Traitors, uh, some of her past experiences on Survivor. I Look, the entire time I was talking to Parvati, it was basically just me trying not to tell her that I've been like low key obsessed with her since I was maybe 11 years old. Um, so <laughs> we, we had a good time. It was a pleasure. Uh, so that'll be coming up later in the episode. Uh, so stick around for that. If you are loving the traders this season as much as I am. Uh, but before that, we're going to talk about Vanderpump rules. And before that, I got to talk about, I went and saw Chicago on Broadway last night with one Ariana Maddox playing the role of Roxy Hart. And you guys, it was really good. Okay. So I have seen, this was my fourth time seeing Chicago on Broadway, which if, if that sounds like a lot, it feels like a lot. I, so I, the last time I saw Chicago was approximately two years ago with Pamela Anderson as Roxy Hart. So I made a decision to see Pam Anderson's opening performance of Chicago, which in hindsight was perhaps not the best decision. Because look, if if you have somebody who has never done a Broadway show before, never even really done theater before, and they're doing this starring role and it's this big thing and it's something new and it's their first night, it's like, yeah, they're going to be like a little... A little nervous, a little, you know, maybe still like getting their bearings about them. And I gotta say, the the Pamela Anderson, it just it wasn't great. It it didn't it didn't work for me. And if you saw her and you loved her, I, I support that too. But so after I saw that was my third time seeing Chicago. I have also seen Erica Jane in the role of Roxy Hart. And then I also saw Chicago once like six years ago, and um Cuba Gooding Jr. was playing Billy Flynn and it sounded like he had like a large frog in his throat the entire time. Like the, the or maybe like a, a bronchitis situation. I don't know. I mean, the show must go on, but probably he shouldn't have. It was, it was tough. But so, yes, after I saw Pamela Anderson in Chicago three years ago, two years ago, I was kind of like, okay, three times, three different, you know, celebrity Chicago casting experiences. I'm probably good. I think I'm good. I think I'm okay. And there have been since then a couple of casting choices that that kind of made me be like, oh, should I? I don't know. It sounds could be really good, but I don't know if I need to. And, y- you know, Jinx Monsoon was in Chicago. I heard 
I heard Jinx was very good. Uh, Angelica Ross from Pose was in Chicago. I heard she was very good. Like I, I've 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 thought about it. But when, you know, when Ariana Maddox is going to Chicago, it's like, okay, we got to go. So um, I was very lucky. I, I was able to work with the social team and, and get nicer tickets that I would have paid for myself. But it was it was so good. And obviously, you've you've heard me speaking about Cuba Gooding Jr. and Pamela Anderson in the last two minutes. So you know that I'm not like averse to saying anything slightly critical. But I was expecting Ariana to be like pretty good. Better than Pamela Anderson, I, you know, the bar was on the floor, respectfully. But I, you know, when somebody comes into a show, obviously they're working with a cast of Broadway professionals and it's Ariana's first time doing something like that. And I was kind of like, okay, like, you know, I, yay, like, let's, let's hope she holds her own. And she really, really impressed me in a way that I just like wasn't kind of thinking about. And the role of Roxy is interesting because it's, it is like a main role in the show. You're doing a lot, but it's so, the dancing is important. There are like specific, you know, sequences and and numbers where the dancing is like very iconic, very specific, very precise, the Fosse choreography. Like you just have to, you have to hit kind of every movement. And if you don't, it really just kind of like, it doesn't like ruin it. Like, I don't want to be like, oh, the show is ruined because one, one person did one step, you know, too high. But it's really important. And then, of course, you you have to sing. You know, there is singing. It's not like, you know, it's not Alphaba and Wicked, but like you you can't not sing. But the acting is really important, too. It's it's one of those roles where I it almost is surprising that it's such a, that they put so many celebrities and things like that with without a lot of theater experience into that role because you have to do a lot of different stuff. And Ariana really checked all the boxes for me. We were sitting close enough that I could, I was getting all of her facial expressions. You know, I, I was seeing everything that she was doing and she really was, uh, was locked into the character. She seemed extremely comfortable on stage. And that was actually the thing about Pamela Anderson that was the toughest. And like I said, probably shouldn't have gone to her first night was that it's just, she seemed tentative and like, she didn't feel like at home on stage and like Ariana just was like owning it and the choreography. And this I think is probably the one of the key pieces is that she went into this show essentially right after finishing Dancing with the Stars. I, when she was on the podcast back in December, it was like the week of the Dancing with the Stars finale and the Chicago casting news had just been announced. And then she, she was in the show within a couple months. And you can tell that that training, the dancing training paid off because she looked so comfortable, so at home in her body, so precise, so sure of herself with all of the movements, with all of the choreography. And fun fact, the woman who's playing Velma in Chicago right now, her her name is Amra Faye Wright. She was the same Velma that did Chicago with Erica Jane four years ago. She has been doing this role for over 20 years. This woman, look her up. She was doing this in the 2000s. She's been in and out. She'll do, you know, like two months here, two months there. She's done it internationally. She's done it everywhere. She's from South Africa. Like, what a fucking <laughs> legend that you find like one Broadway role and you just kind of like pop in whenever for two full decades. But like, that's who Ariana is like keeping up with. And, you know, she did a good job. I didn't really talk about Erica. Erica was also good as Roxy. I think Ariana, I think like 
was a little bit better in like a technical sense. I think her voice is stronger. I think her her dancing was a little bit stronger. Erica had like a great presence. She, you know, she did a good job. Those are like the two, you know, best Chicago, you know, celebrity performances I've seen. But overall, it was just, it was a nice time. There were, okay. If you've seen Chicago, the movie, the musical, whatever, what is like the youngest kid that you think you would bring to see this show? Like 12, 13? Maybe, maybe, I don't know. In the row behind me at Chicago last night, there were like seven, eight-year-olds. These like elementary school-ass girls who before the show, okay, it's one of those things where when like one or two parents bring like a bunch of people's kids to see Chicago. So it's not like they were fully unsupervised, but it's the kind of thing where there's like the the adults are sitting on one end together because they like want to be able to gossip and like not be miserable. But then like all the kids are just sitting in a row with like no actual like direct supervision. The, the crinkling of the candy wrappers, the talking, the full talking, not whispering, not even like a stage whisper. Like this girl is really, do you have any more Sour Patch Kids? In the middle of the fucking cell block tango, I mean, can you not? <laughs> like, I don't want to be, uh, you know, Bethany Frankel and yell at someone's kids at the beach. You know, shout out to that Sonny Hostin feud. If you, <laughs> the real ones know. But like, why are eight-year-olds at a show that is literally about murder and sex and more murder? <laughs> Go see Lion King. I'm sorry. This is like the boomeriest rant I've ever gone on. Like, I truly sound like I'm 100 years old right now. But like, am I wrong? I don't know. Don't, don't answer. Don't answer unless, unless the answer is no, that I'm not wrong. Um, but anyway, that was Chicago. Uh, Ariana is in it through April 7th. I would I would really recommend if you are in New York City or able to be in New York City and you are thinking about it, go ahead. Come see come see Chicago. It's Chicago. Look, it's an American institution. What what more could you want than Chicago? Calling all my honeys. Support for today's episode comes from Honey Love. Whether you're a bride, a wedding guest, or simply seeking everyday smoothing, Honeylove is the go-to for all things shapewear. Honeylove has revolutionized compression technology, so you no longer have to feel like you're suffocating while wearing effective shapewear. For a limited time, you can get Honeylove on sale. Get 20% off your entire order with our exclusive link, honeylove.com MIA. Support our show and check them out at honeylove.com forward slash MIA. When talking about shapewear, Honeylove's best-selling superpower short is the go-to. It has targeted compression technology that distinguishes between areas you want more support and areas where you need less compression. Their Signature X targets and sculpts your midsection without squeezing your natural curves. It's designed to work with your body, not against it. The superpower short is helping ladies everywhere sculpt and smooth from stomach to thigh by offering just the perfect amount of compression. You won't have to worry about it rolling down, which is unheard of in shapewear, thanks to flexible boning that's hidden in the side seams. This piece is also a booty lifter. Boost bands on the back and thigh give your bottom an amazing shape. Treat yourself to the best bras and shapewear on the market and save 20% off at honeylove.com MIA. Use our exclusive link to get 20% off honeylove.com MIA. After you purchase, they'll ask you where you heard about them. 
please support our show and tell them we sent you. Move with confidence. Thanks to Love. Rebag is a luxury resale marketplace. They have a curated collection of investment-worthy bags, watches, and fine jewelry. Each piece is carefully vetted and verified by experts. You can buy and sell finds from the world's top brands, including Hermes, Chanel, and Cartier. Head to Rebag.com to get 10% off your first purchase with code REBAG10. That's Rebag.com to get 10% off your first purchase with code REBAG10. We got to talk about Tom Sandoval. And specifically this profile of Tom Sandoval that was in the New York Times yesterday. And more specifically than that, the quote that Tom Sandoval gave, I'll just, I'll just read it. You've probably seen it, but I'll just read it. <clears throat> quote, I witnessed the OJ Simpson thing and George Floyd and all these big things, which is really weird to compare Scandoval to that, I think. But do you think in a weird way, it's a little bit the same? <sighs> yeah, it it's bad. <laughs> It's bad for him. So I posted this on Bravo Bay Betches yesterday. I saw this quote. I was like, I think this is kind of, I think this is something. So I posted it. And within um, maybe 10 minutes, Katie Maloney <laughs> pops up into the comments, just the fuck. And then she comments again and says, hey, Tom Schwartz, you want to come explain what he was really trying to say? Uh, this comment has <laughs> over 9,000 likes. Uh, Tom Schwartz did not come explain what Tom Sandoval was really trying to say. Uh, we also got Dr. Nicole in the comments saying WTF. Uh, Gertie in the comments saying the disrespect and on Black History Month. Wow, just please. Also, uh, Jordan from Summerhouse Martha's Vineyard. Uh, <clears throat> this one is great. Comparing slinging dick to a black man being murdered in front of our eyes during Black History Month is something I just don't have words for. Uh, Kristen Doty said, what the fuck? This, this got bad. This is something that I think... Um, if you read the full profile, which I would recommend, it's it's a fascinating, hilarious read because you can tell that Tom is just like absolutely, you know, grasping at straws in the dark right now in terms of like how to move forward and, you know, live life as a public figure. But if you... <laughs> This profile, the the interview that he said this in uh, happened, quote, late last year. So this was, you know, at least a couple months ago. Tom clearly is somebody who is very comfortable just kind of saying whatever, even with a tape recorder on and a New York Times reporter in the room. Um, but this is, I mean, this obviously was not something that he uh, probably even remembered saying and thought was going to be an issue. But um, people had a lot of thoughts. You, you just like... You can't compare your cheating scandal to uh, to the Black Lives Matter movement. It just it's not um it's not like a it's not a great like one to one comparison. I would say there's just like slight differences, you know, subtle subtle differences if you are if you're able to unpack that. Um, but Tom did post on his Instagram story last night. Um, my intentions behind the comments I made in New York Times Magazine were to explain the level of national media attention my affair received. The comparison was inappropriate and ignorant. I'm incredibly sorry and embarrassed. I mean, like, yeah, it's it is it is what it is. I'm I'm really curious to see, though, there were in the wake of this comment specifically going viral. He also compared himself to Danny Masterson, who, um, if you are out of the loop, is uh, now a convicted 
rapist. Um, and he said that Tom felt like he got more hate than Danny Masterson did. And I'm like, okay, like, first of all, like, did you, but also like you're actively on a reality TV show. Like I haven't thought about Danny Masterson like ever in my life, but whatever, that's neither here nor there. But people started bringing up this, this kind of like call for Bravo to take action against Tom Sandoval after he made this comparison. I mean, lest we forget, Vanderpump Rules has had its fair share of issues with cast members doing and saying insensitive, problematic things. And I'm like, all of a sudden, it's like, wait, would they actually fire him for this? I I mean, I I definitely think he should get a, a talking to. I don't know. It's it's weird because it's like we're still so early into this season. Like the episode that we're talking about today is episode four. Like it feels like barely anything has happened yet. But then at the same time, it's like I don't know if I need more of Tom Sandoval. So if he got fired, I wouldn't be like, oh, but what is the sh- what is the show going to do now? It's a it's a strange position. I mean, they're they're not going to be filming their reunion for like two months, so it's it's a little bit questionable. But I I don't know. I mean, Tom, truly, just like shut up, go away, get your shit together. Don't hire a twenty three year old who's a Vanderpump Rules fan to be your crisis publicist. That's probably the that's one of the most entertaining parts of this New York Times profile is the fact that while they're having this like objectively disastrous interview there's this 23 year old girl just sitting at the table being like wow that sounds crazy and she's supposed to be like his olivia pope (sighs) tough times tough times over at shea sandoval um but yeah like i said go read that profile vanderpump rules this week was really not not that exciting i mean lisa's you know sort of like carrying the baton from last week where now she's telling Sheena and Lala that they need to go easy on Sandoval because he told her he was depressed. And it's like, yeah, I, I get it. I mean, this is how you move the story forward. This is how Lisa stays relevant within the context of the show. I get it. At the same time, though, it's like, I don't know. Like, I don't. Why would Lala want to be friends with Tom Sandoval? Why? It's like, I I understand Sheena. I think Sheena makes the most sense as like kind of the the possible like bridge back to somewhere that's like why Lala I don't know I just want to see Lala and James like talk about how they're like you know twin flames or whatever like seeing Lala and James I'm not even like a Lala and James shipper per se like there are people who think that Lala and James are soulmates and I I respect that opinion um right now I like Allie too much to want like anything bad to happen to her but I just seeing them like on a on a good page together I'm like that's that's nice. That's what I want. That's what I really want to see. The scene, though, that was the toughest for me to watch was <laughs> Tom Sandoval and Billy Lee going to this cold plunge place and watching Tom sink down into this freezing cold water and have a reaction that is like truly made me so uncomfortable, made me want to crawl out of my body they're like what is going on what is going on here what are we watching billy lee really 
I I feel like every week so far of this season, I've talked about Tom's sort of like peripheral relationships that now we are sort of, you know, forced to care about because nobody else will film with him. But really, like, we've got to be done. We've got to be done with these, like, one-on-one scenes. I don't mind if they're in the group or whatever, but, like, Tom telling Billy Lee that it's always the people that are closest to you that seem to hurt you the most. It's like, that was you. You were the one that was closest to them that hurt them the most. Don't try and flip this around. It was you. You're the reason. (laughs) Like, that's the missing, that seems to be the missing piece here that it's like, Tom is so focused both, you know, they were filming this in June, I think. And then this New York Times profile happened like toward the end of the year. And still, after that, like six months had elapsed, he doesn't seem to be able to to really, really, really grapple with the fact that, like, you did this to yourself. There is no one else to blame. And you don't have to you don't have to agree with the way that everyone has handled it. You don't have to, you know, like the fact that people hate you. But like, at the very least, just like. Full stop acknowledge that it's like I I single-handedly, you know, with, with Raquel, but like single-handedly created this whole scenario. I mean, (laughs) that's not even to mention the fact that he says he's saving himself for Raquel. Like (laughs) that was one interesting part of the New York times pieces. He says that Raquel like stopped returning his calls at a certain point and then it just was over and that then he tried reaching out through her publicist to get a hold of her and she didn't get back to him. And it's like, my guy, it was never going to happen. And right now, you know, at the point they are in filming, he's like, yeah, you know, like I'm not dating other people because Raquel's going to come back and then like hopefully we'll be together. And it's like, sir, it must stop. We can't keep doing this. I don't want to hear about how you're saving yourself for Raquel. It's so I don't know, but we're headed to Tahoe. Everybody's going to be there. Oh, we'll see. We'll see what happens. I, I'm hoping, I'm hoping that this trip kind of like jumpstarts the, the juice on the season. I thought the first couple episodes were, were pretty good. I thought this week was, was kind of a, a low point of the season so far. But like I said, it's only been four episodes. We've got time. We've got time and we've got, Coming up, an interview with Parvati Shallow that I really hope you'll stick around and listen to. So uh, with that note, enjoy. Hey, I'm Andy Mitchell, a New York Times bestselling author. And I'm Sabrina Kohlberg, a morning television producer. We're moms of toddlers and best friends of 20 years. And we both love to talk about being parents, yes, but also pop culture. So we're combining our two interests by talking to celebrities, writers, and fellow scholars of TV and movies. Cinema, really. About what we all can learn from the fictional moms we love to watch. From ABC Audio and Good Morning America, Pop Culture Moms is out now wherever you listen to podcasts. Tonight, only on Disney Plus. My name is Taylor. Welcome to the Eras Tour. Experience Taylor Swift's record-breaking Eras Tour. Does anyone here know the lyrics? Ruben! 
Sierra's tour, Taylor's version, with four additional acoustic songs. Streaming tonight only on Disney Plus. Hey everyone, welcome back. I am now joined by the newly coined Duchess of Deception, Parvati Shallow. Hey Parvati, how are you? Hi Dylan, I'm doing great. I'm also the mistress of murder, lest you forget. What is it like on Traders? There are so many moments where watching it, I just don't even know how you would keep a straight face. Everything that Alan says, everything that Phaedra says, it's what is it like being in that environment? I mean, you saw my face. I did not keep a straight face for the most of the time. <laughs> my face looked crazy. I was squinting and gasping and gawking constantly. What's the difference like in the vibe as a player on Traders versus Survivor? Like, does it feel more serious when you're like in, in an island in the middle of the ocean? Or is it really just kind of like, do you get wrapped up in it wherever you are? Um, Survivor is fully immersive. So that's where there's like no break. So for the game, for me, my mindset is in that game and it's locked in the game and this is a game and a hundred percent I'm there as a chess piece playing the game. Traders is a bit more campy, theatrical, dramatic. They're getting these beautiful shots of our boots walking into breakfast or like our hands are walking with the lantern, you know? So the element of traders that makes it a bit easier to pull back and see that, oh, I'm I'm doing a show and I'm also playing a game. There's a little bit of a distance and detachment mm. for me when I played that um, didn't exist for Survivor. I'm curious. So you obviously are a prolific Survivor player. You're, you've been there longer days than almost anyone else who's played. But over the years, you have not done a lot of other competition shows. You've not kind of been saying yes to anything. I'm wondering with Traders, what was it about this opportunity that got you to go to Scotland and do the show? I love playing murder mystery games. I love Knives Out. I love Clue. Um, I love Alan Cumming. I was a big fan of Romeo and Michelle's High School Reunion, and he is epic in that movie. And I said, well, okay, you guys are going to do this in Scotland. It's basically like a murder mystery game, and I get to wear these fun outfits and hang out with Alan Cumming. I just thought if I'm going to put myself back into a game environment where it's psychological and emotionally um, intense then I want it to be something that is also has this element of fun and theatrics about it so that I, I don't have to take it so seriously. So the fans don't take it so seriously. Like survivor fans are so serious about the game and they, it's like, it seems that they have a difficult time pulling apart a person's gameplay from their person at personhood. Like with, Traders, I was thinking, okay, this is a game. I can embrace a role. I can dress in costume and I can play uh, a villain or I can play a hero. I can play an archetype and it doesn't necessarily have to reflect on who I am as a person. So I really liked that. Yeah, totally. I think it's so interesting too, the way they create this mix with the cast. You have housewives and people who are used to doing these sort of unstructured shows about their lives. And then you have, you know, Big Brother, Survivor, these 
game players. And it, it's so interesting to see the mashup together. And I thought, you know, that was kind of on display with you and Phaedra throughout your whole time on the show. Like the way that you approach it seemed so different. What was that like? Yeah, Phaedra, she was really good at um, the deceptive aspect of it, like playing the part constantly of like not breaking character ever of holding the lie. And she wasn't really interested in the strategy aspect of the game. Like, who, who are we going to kill? She didn't care. Who are we going to banish? Whatever. She, <laughs> she was just like, she, it was, it was so interesting playing with her because I, I didn't know she was kind of a wild card. I didn't really know where she stood until I said, mentioned the housewives at the round table. And then she came at me in the turret and I was like, okay, here's some realness from her about she's really loyal to the traders. I didn't know. She didn't really tell me that before. I didn't take the oath with her and Dan. And I didn't know how seriously she took it because she always seemed to be playing this character. But I, and it's really hard for me to, to pull apart the character from the person with her. So for me, yeah. I was like, I'm coming in and I'm going over the top with my campy ideas and stuff in the turret and like, really having fun embracing this kind of villainous role that I've been put in, but like fully aware that we're also like playing a game and trying to work the strategy angle. So yeah, it was really different having conversations with Dan than it was having conversations with Phaedra. That's so interesting. Like when she gave you that kind of speech at the last turret night that you were out about being more lovable and the, the ice queen, it's funny because it's like for you, it's sort of this performance that you've been doing and she's like snap out of it <laughs> well yeah she's like I think she really has a good heart and has good intentions and I do think she was trying to help me with like some coaching in the turret <laughs> and look I was completely frozen after that like around the sacrifice because I was like we're gonna have a banishment it's gonna be me I'm getting myself ready I'm like okay I'm gonna go head to head against Peter and then the twist happens and now we're in a forest and there's no banishment and it's like now we're meant to be vulnerable and pleading for our lives and I was like oh my god my emotional like I can't take this like how am I how I like I wasn't uh flexible enough at the time to shift out of defense offense mode to now be vulnerable and pleading so then when we get back to the bar after that John actually mentioned that I was this he's like you're the strongest person I've ever known like you never break you don't show emotion you're the you're like the ice you're like an ice princess you're like Margaret Thatcher the Iron Maiden and I was like oh boy this is not good so <laughs> so I'm taking the feedback in real time you know like I'm not perfect so then we get into the turret and Phaedra repeats what John said and I'm like yeah yeah I get it like I realize I need to change tack and um and then I was like, all right, the next time I'm going to cry. I'm going to be tender. I'm going to try whatever I can do. But I do think it's a bit messed up to like um, to call out a woman for being the ice queen and not being lovable enough. It's like there's a little bit like you don't want to do that either because women are so um, conditioned to be pleasing and likable and soft and open hearted and emotional and connected and that was how Phaedra was playing and people adored her, but, but people weren't attacking her the way they were attacking me. They weren't accusing her constantly the way they were accusing me. So if I was like being accused, being attacked and then being like, 
<laughs> like, <laughs> it's fun and I love you and everyone's great and we're all best friends. It would have looked psycho. Right. Like it's it's like being told to smile when you're when somebody's like catcalling you. It's like, no, I'm not going to yeah. right now. I'm in a different mode. Exactly. I'm curious. So you and Sandra have been on in this world together for like 15 years now. It really is crazy how long your history goes back. And obviously it's a complicated history. A lot has gone down on Survivor between you two. I feel like this show kind of was a new chapter, like turning over a new leaf in your relationship. Can you talk about your relationship with Sandra these these days? Yeah, Sandra's funny. I mean, we just hung out together last week in New York when we did the press event for Traders. And we're good. I think we have the ability to understand who the other person is and be okay with that now. It's like, Sandra, she's very competitive. She wants to be the most beloved. And that's okay with me. I think she's very funny and very lovable. She has this ability to be so direct and blunt and say something that like, if I would say it to you, you would be like, that is the meanest thing. You're such a rude person. But when Sandra says it, you're like, that's just Sandra. Like, you know, some people can do that. So with her, I'm like, that's who she is. And like, she's funny. It's her personality. And um, I think we're both fine. We do have a, a mutual respect for one another as competitors in these kinds of games, because she and I have a very different strategy, very different personalities, but we both do well in these games and there is no right or wrong. And there's no one that's better than the other necessarily. Um, so I think that we both have that uh, perspective now toward, towards one another and relating with one another. That's like, I, I kind of like, feel like she's got my back and I've got hers and should we work together? Should we do another one of these shows? It would be cool to actually work together and strategize together Mm -hmm. because we had similar ideas on traders, but we didn't talk about them. Like when she came in with the pool balls, I was like, I had this idea in my room last night. Like we were both thinking the same way so it would be fun to be on the same team. Well, it's tough also because on Survivor, you know, everybody gets dropped off on day one and you decide how to play the game. In Traders, obviously, you were, you know, chosen to be a trader, and then all of us that sort of shifts how you have to play the game. So even if you and Sandra had been like, you know, hanging out and talking strategy, you would have been lying to her the whole time. <laughs> Whereas like, yeah. so it's tough because you don't quite have full full decision how to treat it. No, that's, it made it really tricky. It's like the faithfuls and traders can't really work together. They can protect each other, but they can't necessarily strategize together in an honest way. Like I could do in the turret with Dan and Phaedra. Mm. So it was limiting for us. When it got down to those last couple days that you were there, obviously we're talking about that, um, the fire ceremony that really kind of, you thought that was going to be your last night. And then there wasn't a, a banishment. After Dan left, do you think there's anything that you could have done differently to preserve yourself in the game for longer? Or do you think kind of the writing was on the wall by then? Um, I don't know. It's so hard to say. It, it was hard for me to maintain my composure once Dan was banished because I felt so exposed and um, attacked by Peter, especially, and sort of his henchmen. Maybe if I would have murdered Peter, 
rather than try to recruit him, I could have come up with some kind of lies saying like, why would I do that? It would make me look like that. I'm being framed. But Janelle just went through that saying she was being framed and she was a faithful and she got banished anyway. So I just think like, oh, like once, once I was exposed as a traitor, it's really hard to, to make any kind of move from there. Right. It's especially at that point in the game, people have decided what they think enough that, you know, saying I'm a faithful, I'm a faithful, you, you can only say it so many times. And then the more you say it, then people, people think you're lying even more. People think you're lying anyway. It's like, it's crazy in this game. It's like you, your eye twitches, you're, you don't look me in the eye. You walked away when I said, asked you a question or you didn't sit down. You're a liar. You're a traitor. It just looks like a witch hunt and it, the, the momentum of the mob kind of gathers. And for me as a traitor, that was the best possible thing that could happen as long as they were looking at a different person. Yeah. <laughs> but when the mob was like coming to me, I was like, oh, I, I see what's been happening to all these other people who are vanished. Like there's really not much you can do once that occurs. Totally. I'm curious if you had made it past last week's episode, we saw Phaedra choose to recruit Kate. Who would you have chosen if you had made it one more night in the castle? I also would have chosen Kate. I talked to Phaedra before I left and I was like, we should recruit Kate if we get a chance to recruit someone because she is a question mark for people. They didn't know. John thought she might be a traitor. Peter thought she might be a traitor. So I was like, we should get her because then maybe we can just get them to banish her before us. <laughs> plus also, plus also, I thought she would be fun in the turret. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I mean, Kate brings an energy unlike anyone else to this show, and it's it's very funny. Yeah, she's just so, like, does not care and wants to kill people that she's annoyed by. I'm curious, this show, because it's a mix of so many things, obviously Survivor is huge. There are lots of these, every show has its own following, but Traders, because it combines so many things, watching, you know, I'm in the, the Bravo space for the most part and seeing the Housewives fans discovering people like you and, and Janelle and, and everybody from all these different shows. Do you feel like this, do you feel that energy that it's like a, a different kind of audience watching than anything you've done before? Yeah, it is. It's more of like a pop culture audience that's watching this show. And it's also my Survivor fans too. So I think what's really cool about the way they've casted it this season is it is pulling all these different audiences and kind of galvanizing them and bringing them together. Sort of feels like Hunger Games in that way. <laughs> right? Totally. It, yeah, it's it's wild to think also like the first couple times that you were on Survivor, social media was like not what it is at all and so like that kind of just the experience of doing any show these last few years is so different than what it was back in the 2000s like the the kind of feedback you're receiving in real time is must be wild oh it's the best and watching groups of gay men wearing headbands at their watch parties i'm so delighted <laughs> <laughs> yeah how did how did you feel about alan saying that the gays were rooting for phaedra and the queers were rooting for you <laughs> i could not be happier i'm so delighted to be in this genre <laughs> <laughs> exactly it's uh it's it's you know important work that we're doing here indeed Parvati, I'm curious. So, I mean, I've watched you on TV for, you know, the majority of my life. And I just, I, I want to ask you, how do you feel like being on reality TV over the years has changed you as a person? 
Oh my God. That's a very deep philosophical question. Can be, you can answer it as deeply as you feel. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's completely woven into the fabric of my life. I did Survivor for the first time when I was 23 years old and now I'm 41 and I'm kind of, it's just so uh, unique to be able to have these kinds of adventures where I'm put in these scenarios that are so outside of the realm of what I would experience in my daily life. Even if I was living a very adventurous life, it wouldn't be anything like traders or like survivor. So it's extraordinary to have these kinds of experiences in such a container. Like I go out and I play and I have my own experience inside of my own body and my emotion. And I process that and then I watch the show in the container of the episodes that it's laid out in. And I have another experience of watching myself. And so I get to kind of match up the inside with the outside. And whenever in our lives do we get to do that? Like see ourselves play back certain parts of our lives or what we went through. Like how, how many times in your life would you be like, you had a hard conversation with a boss or a coworker or um, a loved one and you're like, done with the conversation. You're like, I think I really screwed that up. But if you could watch the tape and actually see it in action and be like, Oh, I didn't do so bad. I think I did pretty good. <laughs> like, wouldn't that boost your confidence and help your, your belief in yourself. So it's kind of cool to have that experience too. Yeah, that's amazing. I mean, this whole season has been so fun. Obviously, sadly, you're not going to be on these next couple episodes, but I'm I'm just so glad that you're uh, you're back in our lives and Parvati. Thanks for everything. Thanks, Dylan. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you, Parvati, for being here. Uh, and don't forget to rate, review, and follow the show wherever you listen. Uh, you can follow us on Instagram at Bravo by Betches. And until next time, be cool. Don't be all like uncool. Mention It All is produced by Dylan Hafer, Sean Kilby, Jorge Morales Pico, and Rebecca Sousmacat. Editing by Jorge Morales Pico. Social media by Dylan Hafer. Guest booking by Dylan Hafer and Ali Friedlander. Be sure to follow at Bravo by Betches on Instagram and Twitter. Betches.